This week on the Road to Cinema podcast, from the Oscar-winning documentary short film Heaven is a Traffic Jam on the 405, director Frank Stifel will learn all about how Frank discovered the film's subjects, Mindy Appler, an artist who suffers from an acute mental disorder, and how her unique perspective on the world generates some incredibly breathtaking artwork that's showcased in the film. And we'll also hear about the making and inspiration for Frank's documentary short film Ingalora, as Frank's mother tells the story of growing up as a hearing-impaired young woman in Nazi Germany and fleeing the country just as the Holocaust was about to take force. And we'll also have a conversation about the invisible lines between art and business and how they can equally collaborate with each other. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, please visit jogroadproductions.com. You can follow us on Instagram at jogroadproductions, Twitter at jogroad, and you can like and follow our Facebook page, Jog Road Productions. You can also subscribe to the Jog Road Productions YouTube channel to see some of our Road to Cinema video interviews with Don Cheadle, Greta Gerwig, Hewan McGregor, and many more. Don't forget to subscribe to the Road to Cinema podcast on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, and you can also write us a nice review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts under the Road to Cinema podcast. And now we join Oscar-winning director Frank Stifel as we learn about his career as an executive producer for commercials. You started off working in commercials for many, many years, but did you have the desire to be artistic yourself during that time? Or? Um, well, I was the business guy, first of all. So I, I, you know, I wasn't a commercial director. Um, I was the executive producer of a company named Stifling Company for many years. Uh, which eventually was sold to Radical Media. But I was an executive producer um, and not a director. Um, my point of view on the company was that uh, I, I was uninterested in being the low bid. Um, and so my, my point of view about it was that we would, uh, uh, you know, being cheaper wasn't interesting, being smarter was. And so uh, so the way the commercial business works is that you know, you're, you're offered a script um, and you've now got to pitch based on that script that they sent you. And so, um, so my feeling was, you know, yeah, let's be smarter, let's be more creative, let's offer something that the other guy can't and we'll do well. Um, so, the, so I was the business guy in a creative business that insisted on being more creative than the other creative businesses. And was it sort of uh, like you were mentioning, kind of like problem solving in a way, being very pragmatic as opposed to being think, kind of overtly I, creative? I, I think it's both. I yeah. think that I, I think that um, you know I think it's recognizing that you know you're you know you're you're selling you know you're selling something, um, and um, and so that's the parameter you know that's the game you you know you're playing in, and um, uh, and budgets matter. Um, but within that, within that parameter, um, you're, you know, what you're offering can be more elegant or funnier or, um, um, or solve the problem in a, in a you know, solve the, the problem in the, within the commercial in a, in a smarter way. So, um, so, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I think business is creative. I don't think that, you know, creative is, is necessarily putting paint on a canvas. You know, I think that, um, and even make you know, even making a film is, you know, you you are solving a problem. How are you going to communicate this thing? 
And that's not different than making a TV commercial. Um, so, uh, so I, you know, I, th so when I think in terms of, you know, of creative, I think it, you know, it's, it's a very big world that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so often people kind of divide the line between, you know, a certain person does, you know, more pragmatic business things and then another person does yeah. creative only. But I think those two sides merge more frequently than people really think. Yeah. And, and I think, and I think the commercial business is, I, I, I actually, you know, loved it. Um, I, I had a wonderful career. Um, and I think the reason I, I so took to it immediately was, um, you know, it, it merges those, those two, two worlds. Um, you know, you are making something for the real world. It's got a function. And, um, and yet, you know, there is a way to, uh, to, to make something more interesting, to make it um, uh, stand out, um, uh, to make it uh, better than the other bidder. Um, and, um, um, and if you can sort of find that, you know, that sweet spot that, um, that makes it stand out, that um, and yet makes it function. Um, that's that's a very satisfying place to be. Is there a commercial that sort of stands out to you as? A, a no, I mean of, we uh, did. You know, we did all the stuff. You know, we we worked for you know, you know, we worked for Nike. We worked for Reebok. We did. You know, we we did all of the cars. Um, uh, you know, we did. Uh, you know, you you don't you never have an account in that business. You know, you are bidding. Oh, so you're never exclusive to one. Oh uh, God, no, no, you, <laughs> you know, no, you're recreating your, you know, you're re recreating your client base every day, and so you are being offered this script um, t for this advertiser based on a particular director within the company, and um, and you may do a brilliant job on this job and not be invited in for the next one. Um, so every single day you are trying to find that, you know, those special jobs. Um, and nobody has an account. Nobody is guaranteed the next job. Now, all those years later, when you made Ingalore, that was your first yeah. foray into yeah, filmmaking I was, I, at all. I, you, <clears> I, was still, I was still at Radical Media while I did that. Before that, so you never really had any desire to make something... I, 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 I remember saying to a friend, I was the only person in America that didn't want to direct. <laughs> um, I, had no, I had no desire to do it at all. Um, uh, not that, I, not that I, I had any issue with directors. I, you know, I, I quite love working with directors. Um, I just didn't feel the need to do it. Ingalora, uh, sort of, you know, like everything that happened in my career, I never had a plan um, and, um, you know, I never had a plan, but I was very good at sort of recognizing an opportunity. Uh, Ingalora, um, my, my mother, Ingalora, um, gave a lecture at uh, NTID, which is a deaf university in Rochester, New York, um, which I attended. And, um, and it, it was the first time that, you know, I knew, I knew my parents' stories, um, but... Um, but you, I, you know, I always think that we hear our family stories when we're too young to understand them. And so you, you know, you can't sequence them. You, you know, did that story happen before this one? 
you haven't read anything, you have no idea like what the larger world is and you have no sense of history. And, um, and so I was able to hear, you know, and she began the story with, uh, my name is Ingelora Herzogstein. I was born October 27, 1924. And she takes you from that date to today. So it was the very first time that all of those disparate stories sort of linked together. Had your mother ever uh, written down anything to document no. what had happened? No. She, you know, um, the, the, the wonderful thing about her story was she never knew that it was important. And, you know, she just, um, you know, we, we heard about those stories, at, you know, at dinner. My brother and I heard about those stories at dinner and, and probably were bored. Um, and suddenly, you know, one thing linked to another at a point in my life where I understood how this all worked within, you know, within a history. And um, I remember listening to, uh, you know, listening to, to the lecture and thinking, well, this is a film. And then thinking, you know, and, and thinking, well, you know, do, do you really want to have like, you know, a, you know, do you still, do you really want to be like another person in LA walking around with a script? And then, okay, it'll so be. So you were thinking of like a, a narrative uh, film. In a Everything I'm about to tell you probably took about a quarter of a second. Huh. Um, and so, uh, no, it's not going to be a narrative. It's going to be a doc. Who am I going to get to do it? And it seemed too personal a story for somebody other than me to do it. And so I elected me to do it because I couldn't think of anybody else to do it. Um, and so I, you know, I, I, uh, I wrote notes for about a year, I, you know, just thinking about it. Um, you know, I had a notebook in my car and, and I found that, uh, you know, sitting at a light or sitting at traffic, um, uh, things would occur to me. And, you know, and I didn't commit to making it. I didn't tell my mother, you know, that I was thinking of doing it. Um, and then... Um, I guess about a year after that lecture, um, I filmed an interview with her. I, I had, uh, you know, all my friends. I borrowed every camera I knew, and I, and, I, and I had all of my friends that were either directors or cinematographers come to a studio, and we shot an interview with her. I think it was five cameras. And the reason for it was that... Uh, um, you know, she was very old at the time. I, I figured I had a day to do it. And I figured I had a half a day to do the audible um, interview and the other half of the day to do it in sign language. Um, and, um, and so I had lots of cameras covering it. And, uh, and it's, you know, it, it was my mother against a gray sweep. That's, that's all it was. Um, and, uh, and, and many of the angles were specific to, to, to sign language. Um, and, um, and that was it. It began, you know, it, it began with that interview. Um, I transcribed it and listened to it over and over and over again until um, I could sort of figure out what the B-roll was. Um, I knew we were going to go back to Germany. We were going to go back to her hometown. Um, and, uh, and we did, I think, and I, I wanted to do it at a point where it was warm enough. 
where she could withstand it. And so we went back that April. So I think we did the interview at the beginning of January. We went back in April um, and did the B-roll, did, did her within that town. Um, and, uh, and the B-roll where we reenacted a number of, a number of scenes. Um, and, um, and some of those have actors in them and they're sort yeah, of reinterpretations. Uh, <coughs> which was also, yeah. you know, which was also interesting. Uh, you know, you know, one of the very first things that we did, we shot it in Berlin. Uh, one of the very first things that we did was we reenacted this thing where she was chased through the streets of Berlin by two, um, Nazi cadets. And, um, and I cast, cast a, a young girl, a 15 year old girl to be my mother, um, and cast these two kids who, you know, just seemed to look like what I thought they would look like. Uh, uh, the, if I showed you a picture of that 15 year old girl and my mother at the same time, it's scary how, how close they were. Um, and, um, uh, and so a lot of it was imagining what it was, um, you know, just imagining what, you know, what, what the terror that that must have been like, or the terror of being, uh, uh, being at the United States consulate, uh, begging for a visa to come to America. Um, and so those are, you know, my, my, so my big, big, you know, my plan here was I was going to make this film and give it to my kids. End of plan, and um, uh, and so the uh, you know it was so at some point while we were editing it and and everybody that was involved in that uh, was was swimming in water that was much deeper than any of us had been in. Uh, the editor had just been promoted from an assistant. The composer was 15 years old. Oh. Um, I had uh, I had never directed anything. Um, so we were all, you know, fumfering together, um, and um, and at some point, um, I wondered whether this, you know, I thought this is pretty good. I wonder if it, if it actually is. And uh, the IDA had a competition at the time called Docu Weeks, um, where they honored the first, you know, the the top fifty films, you know, docs, and. Um, and so, you know, I submitted it as a rough cut, and DocuWeeks chose it. Um, and so, suddenly, it was out there. And um, it then went on to show it uh, at, at the Berlin Film Festival, and uh, the Museum of Modern Art took it as, as uh, part of their documentary Fortnight, and about 30 other film festivals took it. And, um, and it, changed, it changed my life. It also changed my mother's life. Because um, this this story that she actually had never told was now out there, and um, and so she, uh, you know, there were magazine articles done about her. She uh, became sort of a minor celebrity in the deaf world. The film, you know, uh, the film will live in the deaf world because it's it speaks to that population. You know the. Uh, the loneliness, the isolation, whether it was Germany 19, in the 20s or, you know, New York City in, in the year 2018, you know, that, that isolation um, remains. Yeah. And so, um, 
uh, you know, I got an email yesterday from somebody, well, you know, where can I get the film? Um, so, uh, so it, you know, it became this, this complete surprise and I retired and thought, well, you know, making these docs is probably much more fun than <laughs> being a, a business dude. And you, you enjoyed the experience, you know, all through filming, oh, it, through putting it together. Oh yeah, it was great. Um, you know, it was great. And, 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 uh, you know, let's not kid ourselves. I, I was doing it on my own. Uh, I didn't have a deadline. Um, you know, I didn't have anybody to please other than me. So, you know, I re so the way that I work is, is really anomalous to the way that most people have to, have to work. Um, um, and so I, you know, I, 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 I make the films that I want to, and I, you know, they're, you know, they're, I finish editing when I think they are finished, not when there's a deadline. Um, a network uh, sent me an email this morning, scared the shit out of me, <laughs> wanting to know whether I'd be interested in doing something for them. Um, and, uh, and there's a part of me that is, and there's a part of me that isn't, you know, because I know what, I, I really know what working, what, what being a filmmaker in, in the in the real world is, and um, and while it's great to have somebody else buy, paying for the toys, um, you know you are subject to working for the man. Yeah. You're and an you're an employee too. You are you are, you know, and you have to satisfy it. And and there's no you know and you know and 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 the uh, you know and uh, and and I you know I've I've dealt with directors who um, who felt what they were making was art um, and uh, and could be really difficult um, you know wanting to make a 64 second commercial instead of a 60 um, you know that doesn't work you you know there is there are parameters that you've got to hit so um, and you know and if you don't if you aren't interested in that don't you know save us all a lot of grief and you know go make your art film um, but you know, uh, you know, if, if somebody else is writing a check, they're entitled to a very strong opinion. What's interesting is that, um, both Inglora and heaven is a traffic jam on the 405 are short documentaries. So they sort of fit a framework there. Was that always the intention with both films? Um, no, um, uh, I, you know the forty-minute uh, format. They're they're similar in that they're I think they're they're deep dives into one person's life, and and forty minutes seems to be right for me uh, to do that. Um, uh, so I wasn't aiming for forty minutes. Actually, I've got an eighty-four-minute cut of of heaven, and I've got a sixty-two-minute cut of heaven, and and I thought I was happy at sixty-two minutes, um, but felt that. You know that uh, you know both the subject matter um, and I, both the subject matter. I thought was it, it was too small a story for too long a period of time, and and so I felt, and I also felt that you know, and I was curious as to what happens if you eliminate everything that's merely interesting, and uh, and and kept the stuff that, that drives the narrative forward. And so we just took away that scene and we took away that scene and we shaved that scene. And, 
we went from 62 minutes to 44 minutes instantly. The last four minutes were a motherfucker. <laughs> um, and so once we were at 44 minutes, then, you know, there, um, you know, the way that festivals work is that 40 minutes and under is a short, um, 40 minutes in a second is not. So, and that includes credits, I think, too, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And so th there was no sense in being at 44 minutes. That, that just was a, you know, a neverland that, um, that, you know, that was going to not fit into a feature category. And uh, so we just, you know, kept on cutting until we went from 44 minutes to 40, which really was painful. Why? Uh, why had that been such a difficult experience cutting those four minutes? Were they? they because you, you, know, to you, you at the time. You, 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 you know, you quickly, um, you quickly can identify the stuff that you know that uh, you don't really need, that you like, and that might be interesting, but you can quickly get rid of that. And what you're now left with is um, you love everything. Everything in there is important to you. And the editor, and um, and and there, you know, and, and you just go, you know, it's all important, and um, you know, which of your children are you willing to sacrifice, and and so, so those last four minutes, and and and, and it's interesting, um, the editor was, the editor and I uh, were were interviewed recently, and we were talking about that stuff that you know that that she found critical and that I found critical that were no longer in the film. And how do we feel about the film now without those things that we were just, you know, campaigning as if our lives depended on it to, to retain. And, you know, they're easily forgotten. You know, that which was, which was very important at the time turns out not to be that important. Do you try to screen the film for uh, people you trust, for sort of outside input? You mean in the longer film? Oh, well, I mean, even in, like, in terms of when you're trying to cut down material and seeing... Um, I screened the 84-minute version. I knew I was lost at 84 minutes. I mean, it was pretty clear to me that I had four films wrapped up in one film. Um, and, um, <clears throat> and, I think, and at that point, I, I needed to hear from people. And so I invited friends who were directors, producers, uh, uh, professors. Um, and, um, you know, and I said, okay, you know, you're not here to tell me I'm wonderful. You're here to tell me where I fucked up. And, um, uh, and so that was very helpful. Uh, what was also helpful was that, um, that while I knew all of these people, they didn't know each other for the most part. And what was interesting was at the end of that screening, everybody stuck around and talked about their family members who had suffered from some sort of mental disorder. And, and I thought, well, this is really interesting. Um, and so, you know, and there were, there were people there that I'd known for 20, 25 years and had no idea about what their family history with mental disorder was. Um, and suddenly it was safe for them to talk about it. And, uh, and, and I thought, well, this, you know, this really is interesting. If this can generate that kind of uh, openness about a subject that, you know, that in one way or another, um, many of these people probably have filed under being shameful, 
Um, that's an interesting thing for me to know. Um, so yeah, that, that, uh, that screening was important in a number of ways. Well, from reading about the development of the film, your wife was in an art class with Mindy. Is yeah. that how they originally connected? Yeah. yeah. Mindy was, um, Mindy is an artist that studies with Tom Whittle in a studio downtown in, Mo in Molino Street. My wife is part of that studio as well. And um, she would come home and talk about this woman who uh, didn't speak to anyone, worked in the back of the studio, and produced this astounding stuff. And over time, um, my wife, B.J. Dockweiler, um, uh, you know, brought her out or, you know, uh, invited her to coffee and, uh, and they developed a, uh, you know, a friendship. Um, and, uh, um, and so, you know, I, I kept on hearing about this woman. Uh, there was a group show. I saw some of her sculptures and was just knocked out. Um, and, and now we found ourselves sort of um, being invited to the same openings. And so we, we saw more and more of each other. And, um, uh, and clearly we felt warmly toward each other. I was just curious as to like, why? Why is she the way she is? Uh, where does this come from? Where does this art come from? Where are these, you know, these drawings come from? And, um, you know, and I had... You know, I had some time, and I have the camera, and uh, and so I said, "Hey, you know, would you mind if I if I filmed you making?" She was at the time making a uh, sort of an epic eight and a half foot sculpture of uh, of her psychiatrist, <clears throat> and so I asked whether really amazing sculpture, amazing seeing the film, and actually the, hand, the hands too. Yeah, remember that part of yeah, it. Yeah, the hands I think are beautiful, um, and so I asked whether she would mind my. Um, hanging out while she did it and, you know, and filming. And, I, and out of that, and I, you know, and, and I would show up once a week. And, um, and over time, you know, we had spent enough time where I asked whether I could interview her. And, and so we just sort of stepped into it slowly. Um, that first interview led to five other interviews. And this story just got deeper. Um, you know, she certainly didn't give me everything uh, on the first interview. And, um, uh, and again, you know, there, there was, there was a, quite a bit of shame involved in, in her family life. And, uh, um, um, and so I just needed, you know, it was, you know, I, there, there are people who give you everything instantly and there are people who, uh, you know, who need to need time. And so this was, you know, I guess these six interviews happened over probably two years, a year and a half, two years. Um, and, uh, and I just kept on hanging out and filming. Um, and she became probably more comfortable with you being entirely. around in general. I mean, we're, you know, we, I mean, we speak to her every day. And, um, you know, um, and so, uh, you know, we, we, we are friends. And, um, and my wife <clears throat> uh, or I speak to her every day. And, uh, and so, um, yeah, you know, it, it became a, a relationship. And I think, you know, the interviews that are in the film, you know, she is very open about how she feels. And, you know, you see that there is a real intimacy in those interviews. Yeah. That I think it was wonderful how you brought that out of her. Yeah, I think part of it is, is, you know, 
Um, um, part of it is, 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 you know, I'll take some credit for those interviews, but I think there's also, um, I think she's a fundamentally honest person. Uh, and by that, I don't mean that she doesn't tell lies. By that, I mean that um, you ask her a question and you actually get the answer to your question, which is rare <laughs> in that um, we're, you know, you know, if you listen to conversation, even conversation you're in, you know, um, we all have this, uh, this want to sound smart. You know, we have this, we're selling something at all times, it seems. And so we, the, the answers that we give are um, the, a version of the question that was asked, but with our spin. In her case, she's actually answering the question you're asking without the spin. And, um, uh, and that's rare. What's interesting too is you know she is very high functioning. I mean, she drives. She is yeah. in society. No, she's. So I think we all, we have a there's a stigma of mental illness in our culture that it's sort of somebody who can't function at all. No, but that's I, not really I, the case. I mean the you know the the uh, the parameters of mental of, of of mental illness is you know is so broad, um, and it encompasses so many different um, uh, facets that, um, you know, we've elected a president who is certainly low functioning and mentally ill. Yeah. So, um, um, <clears throat> so, you know, there's, there's no, you know, there, there's, there's no saying that one can't drive or draw or, you know, um, you know, it, it, it is, it's a big world, you know, mental illness is just the, you know, the, is is as big is probably a bigger catch-all than physical illness, and imagine how big that is. That you know that 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 includes uh, your podiatrist to a heart surgeon. Yeah. Well, as, as you said, I mean, from that screening, you know, so many people really hadn't come to terms with family members or friends who had yeah been through similar situations. So yeah, you know, something you know, having that dialogue, having a piece out there in the world that can create that is yeah. uh, really interesting. Uh, well, I was curious too. I mean, as you were putting the film together, were you thinking about screening it to psychologists or anybody? In I, the I never thought about who was going to see it. I, you know, I, I never, thought, you know, had had somebody bet me w that we would have gotten an Academy Award for this thing, I would have emptied out my bank account <laughs> and and bet everything that I had. Um, I never, you know, it never occurred to me that anyone. Any audience in particular, which I was just trying to make a good film, and um, you know, it turns out that um, it's you know it, it's playing on Saturday night at the Aero Theater here as part of a uh, a, uh, a week long discussion group uh, uh, at being sponsored at Santa Monica College, and on Monday it'll be at UCLA um, at. Uh, um, at their school for um, I forgot exactly what the name of their their particular school is, and on later on in the month, um, City of Los Angeles has a uh, uh, you know has a mental awareness thing, and it's 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 showing there. So it it has a um, it has an audience. I wasn't you know I'm, I'm neither an expert on art or or mental disorder, um, and so my my interest wasn't 
to make the quintessential art film, you know, a film of an artist or to make a statement about mental disorder, my, my interest was making a portrait. I mean, you also have, I think, one of the great titles. I love that title. Yeah. Well, that was a, uh, it's funny, the, the day or two, so uh, on the Tuesday or Wednesday, somebody, about three or four people sent me an online article that was written by somebody who's a, you know, who runs a, a film festival. And the title was The Ten Mistakes Frank Stifle Made on His Way to a, an Academy Award. And one of them, and you know, had I known, had I known there were rules, I probably wouldn't have broken. My, I was, my, my purpose was not to break rules. So my th purpose. This article was written after you had won yeah. the Oscar. Okay. Yeah. And um, and one of them was one of the rules was have a short punchy title. <laughs> and um, uh, and so uh, so I, you know, she said it. You know, I mean that that line. You know, heaven is a traffic jam on the four hundred five is something that she said. And as soon as she said it, I knew that was the title. I certainly didn't make that up. Um, but it, you know, it struck me that if, if ever there was somebody, uh, you know, something that, that described a someone that didn't see the world the way you and I do, um, that, you know, seeing that, you know, that mess as heaven. Yeah. And for anybody who lives in California and Los Angeles, I mean, yeah. that's, you know, so, uh, the bane of everybody's existence. Exactly right. <laughs> I, you know, and I, and I have to say that um, it has changed the way I am at times on the 405, you know, in that, you know, you, you know you're stuck here. You might as well enjoy it. And so, um, and so rather, you know, what the, the, the reason we hate it is because we actually think we have some control over this. And, you know, and why isn't, you know, why can't I manifest my desire for this to not be here? Well, it's here. And so, um, so knowing that, that somebody can see this as being heaven has actually made it easier to be in that mess at times. And the, the whole road to getting to the Academy Awards, what was the first uh, film festival that you screened at? Um, first of all, 40-minute films are really difficult. Festivals really don't like them. Even in the short category? Is that they particularly don't like them in the short category because the way that um, shorts work, they work in one of two ways. Um, either they play with a feature, and so 40 minutes is a long short to put with a feature. You're now occupying much too much time. Um, or the other way that they run in festivals is as part of a group of shorts. So they'll put together five, six, seven shorts, and that'll be the short uh, content for the festival. When you're at 40 minutes, you are, you're taking like you know, two time slots, three time slots away from other shorts. And so, uh, so now the short program is two or three really short films and your 40-minute films, and your 40-minute film. And so uh, if you speak to any programmer, they just hate 40-minute films. Um, again, my, you know, I, I wasn't looking at this politically at all. I was looking at making a film that I wanted to make. And um, so, uh, so it got rejected quite a few times. Um, so this, you know, this thing that looks like it was uh, uh, a, uh, an easy slam dunk, no. It got rejected three, four times as many as often as, as it was accepted. The interesting thing was when it was accepted, 
um, it did extremely well. So the number of times that it won the audience prize or the critics prize um, at full frame, it was the first film ever to win both of them. Uh, at the Austin Film Festival, it won both of them. Uh, Austin was the first festival that took it. Um, and it won both, both those prizes plus uh, the Courage Award. Um, I had to explain that the Courage Award in this case should not go to the filmmaker. The filmmaker slept in his bed every night um, and the courage is hers. And so uh, they... Was Mindy at that screening? Yeah. Then? Yeah. And so, um, uh, so they, 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 they made a trophy for me. I said, that's very nice. I'll take your trophy. You now make two of them. And so she has a trophy uh, for the Courage Award. Um, so if it was accepted, it did very well. Um, and, the, uh, and the way that uh, there, I think there are three ways you can get to, uh, to be on the Academy list. Um, you can win one of 32 Academy-sanctioned festivals. You can win the Student Academy Award, or you can buy your way in. And you can buy your way in by four-walling your film in New York or L.A. for a week and, um, uh, and get it reviewed. Um, and, you know, you can write a check to do that. Um, in, um, uh, in our case, we won two of the 32 festivals. We won both, both Austin and Full Frame. Um, so we won on, uh, on that, and now we were part of a, uh, a group of 77 films. And the, uh, the documentary branch uh, voted to trim the 77 to 10. And then the, again, the documentary branch voted to um, trim the 10 to the five nominees. So that must have been amazing on, uh, I mean, were you looking at Oscar morning that, you know, when the nominations came out thinking, you know, I'm going to be on this list. <laughs> um, when they, when it went from 10, when it went from the short list to the nomination, uh, the nominees list, my wife and I were both in New York and, uh, you know, we, you know, each of us had a, you know, a smartphone in their hand, in our hand, and we were watching, uh, you know, TV as it came on. Um, and when they announced that we were airborne, I mean, it was nuts. Um, yeah, I was thrilled. And was Mindy, was she aware of uh, she was everything? She was aware of, you know, you know is, is she was aware of everything. And certainly she was our first phone call. Um, and it's, you know, I mean, imagine, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing. It's, it's one particular kind of thrill for for me or for any filmmaker to be nominated. But imagine being the subject of a film and suddenly, you know, lots of people have determined that you are an interestingly, an interesting enough or fascinating enough or uh, subject um, for you know, for a film that uh, that they would vote for on top of, you know, an awful lot of very good documentaries. Well, because also watching the film, you know, Mindy is very shy about her art. You know, she's afraid people won't like it, won't embrace yeah. it. Right. I mean, this is amazing that now, you know, people can become more aware of it. Yes. They can, 
yes. go and see it. You know, if she has exhibitions, if you know, it's yeah. incredible. And, and in fact, her stuff is selling quite a bit more than it ever has. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, spectacular that, uh, that people are, are seeing that art and want it. You know, they, um, so, um, yeah, it's pretty great. And, you know, winning the Oscar, does that sort of confirm with you that you really love directing that, you know, even particular, maybe the documentaries specifically that you want to keep going and yeah, making I, I, as you many know, as possible? Yeah, I don't, I don't think in terms of it being as many as possible. Uh, I think in terms of uh, there are stories that I'd like to tell or there'll be somebody that I'll meet and I'll be curious again as to why they are the way they are. Um, uh, you know, I, uh, I don't have, you know, there's, uh, there's something that I'm curious about that I've been curious about. Um, you know, and I'll, uh, and I'll sort of probe that subject for a bit. Um, and maybe I'll move ahead with it and maybe I won't. Uh, I don't have a plan. Um, and, uh, and, and I certainly don't feel any pressure to make another film right now. So that was never like, you know, a lot of people, they win an Oscar. It's sort of like, well, what are you doing next? You never felt I, that type of... Uh... No, I don't have that. You know, the, 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 the great thing, this, and this is an issue of age, um, the, the great thing about being, you know, I'm 70. The great thing about being my age is that um, I'm not going to have a career. I am not going to be a career filmmaker. I am a beginner and will always probably make these little funky films that are very personal and uh and i may never be hired but there's almost like a freedom in that in a way there's tremendous you don't freedom. have that uh there's tremendous freedom in that overly competitive you know yeah you're doing it because you know you find a subject you love it you're passionate about it, yeah. and you can dedicate that time to yeah. it. yeah uh, you know i you know i'm 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 very lucky that uh i'm really lucky that this came about at the end of my career instead of the beginning of my career um, in that I, I had a career that I was very good at and I enjoyed <clears throat> and um, and I understood how how to have a career in, in, in a business. When I unplugged from that, I didn't unplug to go into a different business. I unplugged from business. And, um, and so... Um, so I, you know, I now make these films, um, and, uh, I don't know when the next one is going to be. I don't know if there's going to be another one. Um, uh, I don't know, you know, I, I make them in such a do it yourself fashion. I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, aside from writing, directing and producing, I'm my own cinematographer, I'm my own sound person. Um, and so um 90% of uh of heaven was you know me that's all that was Just the entire you in group. The room alone that was me yeah. you know if i interviewed somebody you know there was somebody else um and there were a couple of scenes where i wanted multiple camera coverage and so um so i would you know hire somebody uh and uh and so but for you know for the most part the way that i have to make these films economically because I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to write proposals, and I, I certainly don't want to have investment money because I know you'll never get your money back. <laughs> um, and and so 
uh, you know, is to make them really small. And, um, and again, the confines of that are, um, you know, I've got to be able to sleep in my bed every night. And, um, you know, we're, we are not shooting this in, uh, uh, in Copenhagen. Um, and we don't have a crew. And that's just, the, you know, the confine to the way this has to work. Um, and that's fine. Um, Ting Pu edits, you know, edited those two films, and I, I would hope that she would edit anything else I have. Um, uh, we, Paul Maroon did the music. Um, uh, curiously, I have never met Paul Maroon. Um, oh, uh, interesting. Never, um... <clears throat> never met him. Uh, it was a relationship purely based on sending, sending stuff. Uh, I would speak to him. Uh, he would send stuff. We would, you know, put, put it against picture. You know, I'd say, you know, uh, seems a little too dark. Can we? Have you given up? him sort of like a, a broad idea yeah. of what you? Yeah. The curious originally? thing, the, you know, the he's very good and he's very smart. Um, I, I mentioned the first film we had. The, the composer was 15 years old, um, who did a very good job. But to a 15 year old, you have to explain what loneliness is you have to explain the emotion of what is actually happening here because he may never have felt it he may that never have lived it there's absolutely. no life experience yeah. and so you know i had to find a language to talk to a 15 year old about things that you know that that kid may never have have experienced um you know there's a, a scene at the beginning of the film where my mother's making the bed i mean the most banal thing possible and and his first attempt at that sounded like a chase scene you know he, you know he, he wanted desperately to impress with his music and he put everything in i'm you know is there anything duller than making the bed is there anything smaller than making the bed and so he you know he so he didn't know that that was his job was to enhance that that he was to enhance the scene, not to make the scene. Um, and, and that's just, you know, age. That's just being 15. Well, I think it's hard with, um, I don't know if you have a music background or not, but I don't. it's sort of a different language, music and, and uh, writing or, you know, sort of a it, separate. It, yeah, but I, but I think that, you know, that, you know, what, what a director, I think, ought to be doing is sort of holding the center of what the film is. And so, um, you know, all of the languaging, whether it's how the camera works or how a camera moves or how it's edited or what the music is, sort of has to feel like it's one thought. And, uh, and each of those disciplines, each of those people wants very much to use their discipline to make your film better. But sometimes in that desire, they're... they're, they're um, uh, what they do may be um, uh, too important. And so you've got to dial it down. It's almost as if every sort of craft department wants their element to stand out the most when really it's all supposed to blend but in. It's, and yes, and, it, yeah. and, and so when, when, you know, but it's not necessarily ego. Um, I think it's a desire to do the best job possible. Um, um, a friend of mine, I forgot what it was. A friend of mine had a back pain, and his podiatrist thought it was about his feet. 
you know, his cardiologist thought it was about, you know, it was like, it was yeah. every specialist, you know, looked at the problem through a really, really narrow lens. And that's the way filmmaking is, is that each of these specialists, you know, in, in a desire to do the best possible job will, you know, um, may overstep, um, but not, you know, I, I don't necessarily think on, about ego, but I think it, you know, I think it's, it's based on wanting to do a great job. And, um, and as the director, as you, you sort of have to yeah, you supervise can, all of those departments right. and see how they blend together in right. the most cohesive way to make kind of the general statement. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is there anything you can share about any projects you're working on now, or is this very nope. in the incubator stage? <laughs> it's very much. You know, it's 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 the the thing I'm thinking about now is actually quite different than what I've done before. Um, it's it's a uh, a custom a a a a custom that we do that I, has always seemed silly to me, and um, uh, and I think there's a better way to do it, and um, so I'm just probing it. Um, uh, but, but I think that I think what's common to uh, to to those films and what I'd like to do with this is, you know, rather than look at it from sixty thousand feet, I think it's about boring in and meeting somebody, and really getting to know that somebody and ha and watching them deal with this thing. So I think the thing that'll be common, I think, is that there'll be. Uh, you know, a, an intensive dive into somebody's life. Well, I think what's interesting that you mentioned before is, you know, finding stories that are sort of, you know, within your neighborhood that are in the general vicinity of where you are. You don't have to leave the country to do a documentary. You don't have to go far away from where you are. You can find, you know, the simple humanity and things that are just around I, you. I, I sort of, I, you know, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, the only thing that's ever been fascinating to me, that's ever been interesting to me, you know, and I've, I mean, I've been in, in this business to watch, you know, uh, you know, extraordinary technological advancements. Um, and I'm aware of them and I understand them and I don't care about them um, because I don't think anybody ever came up with a special effect that is better than a close-up of a face on somebody who feels something that i'm interested in is you know is is that's you know that's fascinating to me is uh you know is is that moment where you uh come to grips with something or you you know that you know or you know a thought has occurred um that you know some moment that um, exposes your humanity, um, and that you know, uh, that for me is you know is is the center of the bullseye. You know, it's not some digital explosion. Yeah, I think that's the one thing that can't be replicated. Computer. I mean, that's yeah. Whether it be in a documentary or in a performance of an actor, and it's the yeah. thing, and it's the thing that the audience you know reacts to. You know. Um, you know, as 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 specific as as Ingalora or Mindy is, you know, um, I I think the films worked because people who weren't deaf and you know and didn't have mental disorders um, could see themselves in it, 
you know, it's, it's, you know, we are joined. Um, and, um, you know, and you feel something when you meet somebody that's, um, that's revealing their humanity. So, you know, no matter what it, you know, no matter what the subject is, that's, that, you know, that's what I'm going for. Yeah, that collective empathy that an audience yeah. can feel. Yeah, you know. Um, and so, you know, uh, you know, I, I, what's his name? Uh, the novelist that uh, wrote Garp and um, uh, John Irving. You know, John Irving kills off people in the most ridiculous ways possible. I mean, those characters are so specific. And you begin the book with, I, I have nothing in common with this, with this person. Nothing. And by the end of the book, they're you. Yeah. Especially in Garp. I think some of those yeah. characters are like randomly killed. And you're yeah. like, whoa. And then it like takes you by surprise. And like you're suddenly like, wow, I yeah, really but, feel the but he, you connection know, to these but, people. But, but, but his magic and I think the magic of, you know, of, of, of any great literature is to, is to take somebody really specific, really, you know, seemingly not you and, um, and convince you that they are you. And uh, lastly, I was just curious, how can people find Ingalora and I was curious. Heaven is a Traffic Jam on the 405? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm sort of, uh, I'm trying to figure that out right now. Um, what's curious, actually, is that uh, Ingalora was on HBO. Unfortunately, it was on HBO right at a time, right before HBO Now. So uh, it, it, it didn't get to be part of that. It was on HBO in 2012. Um, and, uh, um, and while I once was a good producer for other people, I'm a shit producer when it comes to me. Um, and so I just sort of dropped it and, uh, got involved in, you know, in, in other things. Um, and I'm right now trying to figure out exactly what to do with both of those films. Um, but yes, they'll have an online life. I just haven't been able to figure out and what it is. And you do have some screenings coming up, as you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, you know, uh, but every day there's, you know, three or four phone, you know, phone calls or, or emails saying, how do I, they get, you know, people are pissed. <laughs> and it's like, how do I get this thing? Well, especially have it, you know, one, and people are yeah. probably curious, you know, how do, can I see this? Sure. Anyway, yeah. Well, thank you today for taking the time. I really You're appreciate welcome. it. Thanks for listening to the Road to Cinema podcast. We'll see you next time.